Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 330 featuring Patrick Osborne, the incredible animator, writer, and director, nominated for two Oscars, winner of one of them. <laughs> uh, incredible guy, really, really sweet guy. Uh, with a very amazing creative uh, past uh, and present and uh, future as well. Uh, Kristen, what did you think of Patrick? Oh, I love this podcast. Um, I was saying, like Spider-Man, a, a 3D spider sparked his career. Um, uh-huh. That was a fun story. But we get to like hear about his adventures in Hollywood um, and what it takes to be a director and, and not, not the so fun things to make it. Um, mm-hmm. But like kind of when he was little, he was like immersed in the movie industry with his dad working at Kenner toys um, yep. just from seeing all the movie merchandising. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just fun to hear about that. And then his uh, story of his Oscar winning short film feast while I was at Disney. So yeah, it was, yeah. it was all it, so many good things. <laughs> it was really cool. It was really cool. I should, I should note that I, I, I got in touch with Patrick uh, through Jean-Michel over at the real time conference. So it was very nice to, you know, being part of that conference, it was very nice to be, uh, uh, have access to all these great speakers and it was, it was really cool to be able to have Patrick on as well. So I'm really happy to do that. I really love the story of his past and his dad being part of Kenner Toys because I don't think his dad, you know, you know, the way he was talking about it, his dad doesn't necessarily know the importance of the toys that he made culturally on there. You know, he made like designed some of the original Star Wars toys, uh, but it wasn't like, you know, he didn't necessarily know back then how important they're going to be today. So it was kind of cool to see that. And, you know, obviously Patrick's a very creative person. His, his shorts are are really beautiful. Feast was a great, great short. Um, and, you know, he, and, and the Pearl was also really great. So he's doing amazing things. And I was really glad to see uh, see that and to be able to, to talk to him. So it was a wonderful, uh, wonderful podcast. All right. Uh, Kristen, uh, we have a couple of announcements. What's going on? Yep, just a few. We've talked about these before. Uh, you can find these out at chaos.com slash events. Uh, the one we have coming up is on June 18th. This will be an online event, and it is Introducing Chaos Vantage in Chaos Cosmos, um, and it'll be a webinar and demo. So you can log on. Perfect. Online. So if you, yeah, if you guys are interested in Cosmos and uh, and Vantage and want to know more about that, I definitely recommend you guys go check it out. Chaos.com slash events again is where all that information is and where you can register to find out more again. And that's June 18th. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a couple of new products as well that are coming up. The big one I think that you guys should check out speaking of Vantage is the new uh, Vantage update, which is 1.3. Lots of new stuff going on there. I think it's a, a, a good thing to check out. Uh, I've been using it and I am very impressed, honestly speaking. The new two-sided material is cool and a bunch of other cool new features, a new camera importer, lots of cool stuff going on in Vantage. So uh, very exciting to see that. Uh, if people want to know more about the podcast, where can they go, Kristen? You can go to facebook.com slash podcast or chaos.com slash cggarage. Or if you'd like to watch us on YouTube, you can go to youtube.com slash chaosgrouptv. Great. And if you have any ideas about the podcast or you have any feedback or want to let us know, please do. Our email is labs at chaosgroup.com and we would love to hear more from you. Uh, we always do get, we actually do get some great uh, uh, suggestions and emails. So please let us know and we will try to see if we can get in touch with those people. Or if you have contact, give us those contact information. I would love to know about that. And of course, don't forget to review us on Apple Podcast or something that's uh, good to know and share us with all of your friends and family. Uh, and that's it. All right. That being said, please enjoy this amazing podcast with Mr. Patrick Osborne. 
Welcome to another CG Garage Where the Chaos Group talks You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops We're gonna fire off rays In high dynamic range We know that ambient occlusion is passe Global illumination won't lead you astray And while image-based lighting is really swell you need to make sure everything has for now. Well, cool. Listen, uh, this is this has uh, been great. I'm so glad that you know through Jean Michel we were able to get this all going and talk about some real time cool stuff. You know, like you mentioned, you've got a bunch of gear behind you, so obviously you're yeah. kind of a gearhead in the, in your own way. Um, but what's what sort of got you into CG and then animation more specifically? Like, what was your passion there? Yeah, I think I'll. I'll I'll start with you know when I was a kid I um so my my dad was the uh was the director of design of Kenner Toys in Cincinnati Ohio so really he uh the, the he famous Kenner Toys Star Wars <laughs> yes yeah and he was uh he was an industrial designer he went to University of Cincinnati and um which has a great design program still for uh, especially for products um and like cars and um. You know, Procter and Gamble is there, so there's a lot of like that kind of stuff too that happens in Cincinnati. But uh, in the '80s or '70s and '80s, uh, Kenner was a big creative, you know, place there in that city. And my dad started working there right out of school in the early '70s, and was there for um, his first toy was the Bionic Mission Vehicle for the Six Million Dollar Man, and um, he and then he worked on the first, you know. Well, the entire line of Star Wars toys, the whole times they did it, along with uh, Care Bears wow. and Strawberry Shortcake and Mask. And um, they, had, they had a bunch of really cool creative toys, too, like Spirograph and Play-Doh. And uh, right. so it was always a real – as a kid, I was a model on Care Bears boxes and stuff. And uh, I, have, I have photos of that. It's on my Instagram. Uh, <laughs> Nice. And, uh, but my dad liked to draw a lot. He was also into racing. We lived close to the Indianapolis Speedway, like within an hour and a half. So he did the, um, he loved to, he loved classic cars and would do watercolors of cars and did the, the cover of the Indianapolis race program a couple times, like watercolors of, of the race cars. And he was on the pit crew for that kind of stuff. So he was always like someone who loved to draw, especially cars and vehicles and, and uh, as a kid, I had all of those, you know, I was getting into his Prismacolor marker set and and pencils and would draw with my dad. And um, I think that, you know, encouragement of, uh, of parents that uh, my mom and dad actually met in art school. So my mom is a painter as well. So like it was definitely in our family to draw and paint. And, um, you know, so there was that in me. And then when I was, uh, you know, like, 1986 or so I got a Nintendo like every other kid in this generation and kind of fell in love with video games and um, knew through high school and growing up that I wanted to do something with drawing and uh, maybe make games or, or movies or something. And then I think like a lot of people on your, your podcast uh, I saw Jurassic park and uh, <laughs> not only that, but like the, um, the book I saw the my dad had the making of book with the storyboards in it, and yeah. uh, to see that it was kind of uh, 
crafted by by humans in that way, but also really high tech and computery. I like I kind of like was a it was clearly a cross section of things I was into, and I think that was. It sounds like from listening to a few of your your interviews that it's fairly common. Like Jurassic Park seems to be a kind of huge thing. One other thing is that Kenner yep. um, Kenner was bought by Hasbro in 1992, a little bit before Jurassic Park came out. But they were working on. I read the script for um, Men in Black early on um, mm-hmm. that that uh, they were kind of doing toys for. My dad was doing toys for. I remember like reading that was the first script I've ever read, and to read a script and then go see a movie like three years later was a neat kind of thing that I realized. Oh, someone's like writing this and someone's drawing the story, but like there's there's clearly a lot of human creative work to be done in here. And I think the third thing was uh, meeting. Um, well, Kenner had an early Alias machine like a 1989 uh, version of Alias before it was Maya mm-hmm. or Power Animator or anything like that. And I thought that was really, it was like the coolest video game ever, like a $100,000 3D video game before 1990. It was, they had a little like thing where you, you had a mouse and it was a 3D spider that would like follow the mouse around was their demo and it was real time. And I, right. that's, I remember that's, that one. That stuck with me uh, seeing mm-hmm. that at Kenner Toys uh, when I was like eight. Or something like that. So um, that, and then also uh, one of my, uh, my dad introduced me to a, a guy named Ed Zobrist also growing up, and he was a marketing, like uh, a young marketing guy at Kenner, but he ended up leaving the toy business and joining EA in the middle of the 80s. And he now is um, one of the very high up executives at Epic Games. Um, and I, we, you know, I've kept in touch with Ed right now. I've run into him over the last 30 years a couple times. So all that stuff was kind of in my world and in possibility. And then, and then out of high school, um, you know, I had the support, you know, was lucky enough to have the support to go to Ringling to art school, um, which I, oh, nice. you know, looking back on that now, that's a, I know it's a, it was great, but it, art school is a huge gamble. You don't, you don't kind of consider that as a, as a kid who's passionate and, you know, in the dream and believes they can do it, but it is, uh, it's, it's difficult, you know, to make it work out of art school that the, the percentages are low, you know? So, um, and I don't know if that's the way you would, I would recommend doing it now necessarily. I think there are some schools that are amazing and a lot of kids get a lot out of them, but there's so many cool animation, animation mentor style training programs, uh, that are fantastic too, and have just as much success, if not more, uh, but you know, Midwest path in the late nineties was go to college. You know, that was the, right. the expected way to go. So, um, but yeah, but out of Ringling at Ringling, I, I like, you know, I got into figure drawing and painting. It's kind of fashionable at art schools to, you know, uh, <laughs> learn from the masters in that way. And it's great to do, I think. So, I, and I still love doing that. And, uh, right. And then, uh, you know, I, but I got into the computer animation there with uh, Jim McCampbell as the head, and he was, um, he still is the head, and he was uh, kind of of the lineage of Ohio State. Ohio State had an amazing computer graphics program in the 80s and into the 90s, and that kind of, some of that trickled into Ringling and made it what it is, uh, as a more art-centered and less computer science-centered program. And uh, I've since worked, you know, ended up working at Blue Sky recently, which was uh, created by those Ohio State people in a lot of ways, too. So it's neat to see right. all that stuff kind of um, 
kind of uh, cross a little bit. But I I made a, a short film in college, like we all we all did, and uh, mainly as a reel. And I, I started working. Was it a live action or was it animation? Animated, animated. They didn't. They mm-hmm. only had an animation program at that time. Now they have live action too and games. But that point, at that point, it was thirty people per class. It was a small class, uh, mm-hmm. and you did uh, a year of traditional two D paper animation, and then in three years of um, learning Maya Maya version two, and uh, and Shake was our comp stuff, and which I which yep. I loved at the time, and I still feel like that node based thinking way back then was pretty cool and ahead of its time, and um, it's everywhere now, but. So I got into that stuff and then um, the reel was good enough to, and I was, I, f- I find like that luck has a lot to do with things along the way, but like I was lucky enough to graduate when there was a huge vacuum into the industry uh, as animation studios were deciding to do features and opening up bigger. And I got pulled into Sony Imageworks um, during Polar Express and Spider-Man 2 time Uh Mm-hmm. Very, you know, a lot of vacuum, and all of the people that I ended up working with on Polar Express ended up being image movers, you know, after that. So, mm-hmm. um, it was a cool, it was a nice time to get in. Polar Express was a very ambitious thing for 2002. Um, it was difficult to work on, uh, artistically, but I, <laughs> yeah, uh, I met a lot of wonderful people working on there, uh. My first boss, David Schaub, the animation director of that, um, is wonderful. He's, he's an awesome guy. And uh, and I met Renato Dos Anjos, who is uh, one of the animation supervisors, or heads of animation at Disney right now, and uh, has been for a long time. So it, you meet, you know, I met tons of amazing people there, and we, everybody kind of went everywhere. But I, I stayed at Sony through Open Season, Surf's Up, and then I Am Legend, I was and there then, at that time too. Oh yeah, I was, cool. I was on Ghost Which Rider. Department? Oh yeah, with with uh, Marco Marenghi. Uh, lighting, great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My no, that my was a, well, that was like a, that was like a was cool, Kevin Mac. Yeah, that was like a cool like that was a little bit of a rogue team. The Ghost Rider team was small, I remember, and uh, very small. But a, a few um, there were some awesome animators on that that I still you know, keep in touch with mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, but yeah, like after I Am Legend, uh, Disney had bought Pixar a couple years before and had mm. some friends over at Disney mm. Animation that said that it was uh, going to be really cool to be there as Lasseter and Ed Catmull started to, to kind of, you know, change leadership. And they were definitely right. So I went over there for what I thought was American Dog, and it turned out to be Bolt. Um because that whole movie got kind of um, shuffled uh, at the beginning there, but it was a, it was a really awesome time to get into that studio because it was a, it had a lot to prove. I think uh, a lot of people thought you know Disney doesn't need two animation studios. Um, why not? You know why would they have Disney Animation when they have Pixar if they're all going to do CG? But we felt like there was some some real talent there. And uh, it was really exciting to kind of ground floor Disney at that point because it felt like a re a rebuild for sure. And then um, and those movies like Bolt and Tangled and uh, Into Wreck It Ralph were in the prep and landing specials were really really fun to work on. So and I was an animator through those. Uh, I was an animator on all this yeah. stuff. So 
Uh, it was really, it was great to, to be there at that, that stuff, that time. And then the tangled was kind of the, the highlight of that phase of that, of my like animation, animation career, because it was working with Clay Cadis and John Cars and Glenn Keane as our leadership. And, uh, Glenn is obviously a animation legend and a wonderful human being to work with. He's very generous and, and John and Clay are geniuses. So it was a really cool, you know, mix of, of people in a small crew, like 55 animators is pretty small for a movie these days. Yeah. And we were doing something we felt was really, really uh, unique in, in how we were crafting the performance of that movie that I think has been the, was kind of the, the, the birth of what the Disney style is now in 3d. Um, so that was all super awesome. Uh, yeah, and getting like Glenn, getting like Glenn would, uh, you know, Glenn would draw over your like he would sit down with you for like three or four hours and just draw on the Cintiq over your poses and your shots and talk about how they could be better and um, how you could and you would see him like get into the character and kind of perform there through the pencil and all of that was pretty amazing to like just sit and watch for three hours at work one day so. I, uh, yeah, it was a pretty awesome experience. So that's, that's how I got into all of it. Um, and then after right. that, I kind of stopped animating, but I mean, I still do, but, um, you know, as a main job, that was kind of the end of that. But, um, why did yeah. you stop animating? Started, I started directing, <laughs> I started making my own <laughs> okay. stuff and supervising yes, and, um, yeah. Uh, but, like, I, I mean, I love actually animating. I love doing everything. That's one of the, like, the kind of like the curses of our business is that you can't, it's, it's very much, it's the blessing and the curse. It's like great that it's such a team effort, uh, but you really can't do it all yourself. Uh, and I do enjoy doing, you know, I play music. I like to draw. I like to animate. I like to paint. I enjoy all of the steps of making a film. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, you don't get to do all of that when you're, when you're trying to get things bigger made. Uh, <laughs> but I, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, I do get to dabble in each of it. And I actually think that, um, you know, I'm pretty, pretty good as a character animator. I think the rest of the stuff I'm like campfire level, you know, uh, like as in campfire guitarist, you know, I can play a few songs entertain people <laughs> enough but like i'm not amazing at any of the other things and i think that's sure. what directing directing kind of is that it's like recognizing uh what your biggest strengths are and trying to find people to help to do all the other stuff that you're not as good at so um right but basically after tangled happened uh we did a couple of these prep and landing uh shorts these uh 30 minute christmas specials for abc at disney um as uh, as other movies, as Wreck-It Ralph and Snow Queen, you know, became were in development, mm -hmm. and um, and at the as 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 Wreck-It Ralph was kind of ramping up, John Cars uh, asked John Lasseter if he could revive a short that he was working on at Pixar called Paper Man, and um, right around that time, Disney had started like dabbling in Google's twenty percent time thing, where you could like spend twenty percent right. of your year doing whatever you want. It was fashionable around 2011 <laughs> and mm -hmm. uh, they allowed us to uh, kind of gather a group of animators together and create uh, 
like just make do something that excites you for a month of your time. So five weeks of time for each person that you wanted to convince to do this. So we made a little like fake teaser for uh, a movie called Pet about a kid who um, like raised a sea monster in his backyard pool. And uh, <laughs> we made like a teaser, we made it stereo and it was all viewport Maya shaded. It was not like we did, we didn't go through the render process at all. We just kind of composite tricked it. And right. um, just to make it quick, that's where I, I started. There was a, an artist working upstairs named Jeff Turley that I love some of his paintings on Tangled. So I asked him to come and like do paintings for it. And he did. And um, got a bunch of animator friends together. The music department even like did a little score for it. And we showed it. The deal of the program, which was called Spark at the time, um, was that you just had to show it to the studio when you were done. That was the only stakes. Like you had to stand by what you were doing. Uh, on a presentation. So we did, everybody got really excited and uh, thought we were like making a movie, but it wasn't, it was just a teaser. <laughs> uh, but what came from that is um, the ability to play around um, in this non photo real, uh, real time kind of do things that look a little bit different space at Disney. And Ron and John had an idea that they were working on before Moana that was going to use this uh, technology. Um, they ended up not being able to do that one, but we did a little test for that. And we started working with the software called Meander, which was um, a drawing tool, a vector drawing tool that was initially meant to make auto in-betweens for effects drawings because they were so tedious to do, uh, made by this artist named, or this engineer named Brian Whited. And he, uh, he made this tool where you could like draw a drawing and then draw another one and it would do the in-betweens for you with arcs, like you could like time it and uh, add mm. like arcs to it. It was really cool. We basically kind of took that tool, took John, John Carr's story for paper, man, took that meander tool and what we had been doing on this pet test, me and Jeff Turley, the art, the art director and um, combined that into a new tool that would take, it would allow you to trace over CG animation and then use the arcs and the motion vectors of the animation to suggest where automatic in-betweens were going to go on complicated paintings. Um, and so on paper, man, on like an 800 frame shot, you only had to do, uh, you know, 70 or 80 nice drawings instead of 800. Mm -hmm. And it was at 24 frames a second and very polished and tight and, and, um, and CG animation in some ways is easier to direct. It's more forgiving than 2d. So, we got to like kind of make software to do our, our film and it was enough of a hit. It, it won the Oscar. Nice. So um, it was nice to get to make shorts. I kind of got addicted to making shorts and then I. So really, I, got, I mean, it was all hand. It was mostly drawn. It was, it was very. It, it's CG it underneath, but all of the right. image you see is drawn. Yeah. Oh, really? That's interesting. It's, um, and there are a couple of YouTube videos that like show how it works. Uh, and it, it was really fun to work on because we, we made the tool a hundred percent to our own personal specs. And right. it's great to make a tool that you make from scratch like that with the software developer, like in the next room, because you know it so well. And, um, yeah. Never, and whenever it crashed, it just had Brian's phone number that came up and it said, Brian failed <laughs> and had his phone number and his okay. And you could call him. Um, and it was great to to be able to, to like do that was was addicting to be honest because and so this was for stopped. feast that you that guys was for did. paper man we made that paper man okay um, right yeah 
And then uh, Feast, we used it too, but mm-hmm. uh, Paper Man was entirely made that way. Feast was right. a combination of 3D and drawn um, effects and a little more co- compositing trickery, you know, than that. But um, yeah, after Paper Man, I, I, I went on to with the with the with the animator named Zach Parrish to be the heads of animation on Big Hero Six, um, mm. and I did that for a year. Me and Zach worked on 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 Baymax mainly like I, I was mm-hmm. soft Baymax and Zach was <laughs> hard Baymax and some of the other characters. And um, we yeah, spent a year getting that off the ground, but uh, right around like around Christmas time, Lasseter decided that he wanted to make more shorts with Disney animation. He was going to open up the pitch program. And I'm the kind of person who like always says yes to that stuff. I just like right. trying it. It's, it was, and uh, the the whole rule was that you had to have three ideas, and there was a web form. And I remember like like looking through a few sketchbooks. I'm like, maybe these are some ideas. I'm gonna type them in. So I typed in three titles. Didn't know what they were really, and uh, and hit hit send, and it sent an email to development. I guess, and I got an email back like 20 minutes later saying, Hey, can you pitch these on Tuesday to us? And I was like, Oh, I, I don't know what they are. Oh crap. <laughs> uh, so. I had no idea what the stories were going to be. Um, one of them ended up changing entirely. I just renamed it and said, and it turns out like with all of these things, there's never really rules like that. Like pitching the studios, pitching internal, none of that stuff has like, they, they put rules in place to try to like give some structure to it. But if you're going to be creative, you're going to be creative. So um, I was able to like push the meeting back and then, as I've learned since, like development meetings get pushed months sometimes. So like if you push it a week, you can put, it doesn't really matter that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, but I, I had this idea for a live action film. I go to South by Southwest every year or try to not this year, uh, <laughs> obviously, but uh, I had seen, like, I feel like good, good ideas for stories are, if they're going to be, personal and like they have to be to be able to spend so much time on them. And if they're going to be interesting, they have to come from like two or three, a cross section of like two or three things that you find really interesting and love. And, um, and I think if there's, if so I, I kind of keep track of things I love. I have a lot of like Twitter bookmarks and YouTube, you know, playlists and stuff that are like, that I think these things are amazing. I don't know what, what this is going to end up being. And I also keep sketchbooks. So what Feast ended up being was a combination of this app I was beta testing called One Second Every Day, um, where you it, you do a video calendar of your life. Yeah. So I was I was doing that at work. You know, Paperman has a One Second Every Day of the entire production, um, and I did I I recorded a, a One Second Every Day of every dinner I had in 2012, <laughs> and I thought it was really fascinating how you could like see life pass by through the dinner table with the meal in the center or something kind of cool and graphic about that. At South by Southwest, I saw a uh, show by a guy named Willie Mason and he sang a song called where the humans eat about his cat, like wanting to be at their table and be human like them. And, um, and then I've been playing around with the paper man style and like non photorealistic stuff. So I was like, what if I like told a love story or relationship story through dinner but the only character you really see is the dog under the table, like just wanting to be a part. I was like, that seems kind of cool. And then the baby, you know, there's all kinds of life moments that happen around dinner that could include the dog in a cute way. 
And I showed that. I, I said that to Lasseter. I showed him my video of dinners. I said I wanted to make it non-photo real with Jeff Turley as the art director. And um, I would love to say he said yes right away, but it, he's like, that sounds very great. Sounds interesting. All right, we'll talk to you later. And then like two months later, they said yes. So it took a long time to like, it was just like radio silence for a while. Uh, but at that moment, I had to walk back into the office with Zach and say, Zach, you're going to have to do Big Hero 6 by yourself because I am not going to turn this down. And uh, and then a year later, it played in Annecy. So it took a year from like the Green Light Day to Annecy Festival, but um, wow. which is amazing. The biggest stressor was around Christmas, I ran out of storyboard artist time and I'd never done story myself at this point. And Lasseter had like, He's like, his big note before Christmas was like, doesn't feel special enough. You know, your whole pitch was really cool and special and unique. And this feels like, oh, it's fine. And I'm like, oh my God, like, that's a terrible. Make it more special. <laughs> difficult. Yeah, it's an incredibly difficult note. And he's like, just look back at your pitch and what you did and what was cool about that. And like, make sure it's in there. And then, so the Feast production was a year long um, for me. And I was on it more than anyone the longest um, 51 weeks from green light to festival. And uh, the, the most harrowing part was, was John Lasseter's note around Christmas, which is make or break. We had crew that couldn't make it on January 13th through like April. That was the time when I had like artists and John's like, it's either going to be good enough to make there or not, or you're not doing it. And his note was that, it wasn't, it didn't feel special enough. Like it didn't feel personal or like the, like the pitch. And I think for me, looking back going, like I, I took a, a deep breath at that very difficult note to address and um, tried to look at what made me excited about the pitch in the first place. And part of it was actual, the, the cinematography, the storytelling language was centered, was food centric physically. Like I always, in the one second every day videos I had made it, the, the, the meal was always right at the center of the composition. So we decided to make that the way the dog spoke, um, where like when it was having a good time, it was pushing the food to the center. And when it was like, when he was emotionally like rejected or out of, of the life that the food was kind of off center. And, um, and, and it came back into center with the meatball from the baby the chair at like the moment where everybody has little happy tears. And I, I feel like kind of finding a way to kind of reconstruct the whole thing uh, with cinematography, telling the story in mind as much as anything else was what did it. Um, so I, I went home and reboarded the whole short, like to, in Ohio, I went home for Christmas to my parents' house. Uh, my whole family went and um, I spent the whole time in a room redrawing the short to compose it that way and to tighten the story a little bit too. And then he's, he approved it and we made it like animation was like a month and lighting was like, uh, you know, a month and a half after that, Josh Staub, who's an incredible director in his own right was the VFX soup on that. And uh, we used some of the meander drawing tool, but we also did a lot of new composite tricks uh, to kind of fight the tune shade nature that typically happened. Like, I, I hate ugly tune shade on things like it's it's just not generally the shapes it makes are not very considered and uh we tried to find our ways to make tune shade kind of work on top of being able to paint fix it uh with with that motion vector assisted roto 
it's kind of how it all works. And uh, that, you know, getting to show it in Annecy is really cool. I've been to Annecy a few times now. It's an amazing place for people who love animation. You're just seeing some of the freshest stuff that you've ever seen that, you know, there and it's in a beautiful place and everybody loves animation and there's like the bars are open late it's all super great place to show your film and um and then it got came out with big hero six and and did the award stuff and it was amazing and it that your life instantly changes really like the uh ability to kind of meet with anyone in hollywood is there you have to make this really difficult choice of like you know disney had at the time, 17 directors on staff, uh, all in development. Some people have been in development for like 15 years and never made anything. And uh, I didn't want to do that. I'm a make stuff type of person. And yeah. um, their offer, you know, there was like, you know, storyboard for a while, learn how the story team works. And I just, I just didn't want to like sit around and like um, kill that uh outward momentum so i had to quit which is a very scary thing but um at annecy i had met karen dufalo and jan pinkova who were running the google spotlight program so as soon as i quit i called them and said hey what are you guys doing right now <laughs> do you have anything that could pay um while well, i try to like get a career going and um and then i learned what you know having an agent and a manager and what like being a director in Hollywood is really like, which is a lot of uh, driving around LA and meeting like first dates, general meetings with producers and studios and everything to get to know you. And it's very confusing and complicated and um, feels, it feels like you're working, but you're not working at all kind of situation. And, uh, and you get a lot of, um, and my agent, Simon, you know, was really good at, at the beginning at saying like, at making me like realistic about what to expect. He's like, he's like, you, you have a cute film that won a lot of awards. It's a, it's a great start. Uh, but people aren't going to give you great scripts. You, you're not going to get the thing that's ready to make. Now you're going to get the thing that people kind of like, but needs a lot of work and you're going to have to like dig in and work with writers and make it happen. Um, in order to get anything that actually gets like anywhere. And he's totally right. Like you get a lot of like, you get a lot of like, uh, you know, everyone wants to be the next Lego movie. So there's a lot of like, we have this product, we have Slinky, we have Rubik's cube, we have Play-Doh, we have like every toy company wants their Lego movie. So you get a lot of that. You get and like, everyone gets that. Like if you're an animator who's gone out and wanted to direct stuff, you've definitely gotten a few of these like toys. Uh, and maybe, maybe you love them enough. You know, I could, I always felt like I had like the dad in to start pitching on those if I really felt like it. Um, but I never really loved those. Um, there's, there, there was, there wasn't still as like a graphic novel craze. So you'll get books and graphic novels uh, that people are interested in somewhat. Sometimes, you know, I worked on a movie called Battling Boy for a while, um, which is an awesome graphic novel. I was the ninth director to try to make that uh, movie. It, it's owned by Paramount. Paramount, their bosses change every like seven or eight months, it feels like. Like it's a very like hard place to make a movie. Uh, it's hard to make a movie when the person who is on your side leaves uh, <laughs> in, in, in any situation. So, uh, so, 
you know, I've kind of learned that like a lot of the actual like job of, of directing and making stuff is working on that development and trying to make it great and balancing, you know, passion with realism, with the, with the reality of like how likely things are to get made, but you always have to like really have and stick to like a, a reason to make it. And, um, and yeah. And so I started to get a bunch of, got a bunch of things set up, ended up making a sitcom for ABC called Imaginary Mary. That was a really weird and fun experience and a totally different world than what I was used to uh, working at that pace. Cause shows are made in four or five weeks. Um, because we were, we had an animated character. We made every episode in about seven weeks, which is still incredibly fast for anything with full CG animation in it. And, um, you know, it ran for one season. I think it was fine. You know, um, wasn't my passion project. And I know that like that, that tends to actually matter a lot. Like it's hard to spend the time necessary to make something great. If you're not completely in love with it. And, uh, and all and the and the the big thing that I was doing that whole time was trying to get uh the feature Nimona off the ground, which I uh partnered with Roy Lee at Vertigo, who made like it in um The Departed, which <laughs> very different than an animated movie. Um but so I, I but with uh Stacey Snyder and Fox Animation and an executive named Darlene Camano Loquette, who is incredible, and Vanessa, who was running Fox Animation at the time, we got we got uh we got that book rights kind of started in Greenlit off of a fourth draft of a script by writer Mark Hames, who wrote Kubo and the Two Strings. And um and we did two storyboard versions, a version and a half before uh Vanessa was replaced by uh Rob, Rob Baird and Andrea Maloro and, uh, and Fox was bought by Disney. Wow. Um, so that sense, and it was going to be made at blue sky. And, uh, so I was working there and, uh, so yeah, this goes many, you know, <laughs> well, it, it didn't, it didn't go great for me, but, um, so basically I, I as spies in disguise is being worked on, you know, we worked on six or so versions of the full screening of that movie until the very first day of COVID. I was fired from that project and uh, and moved back to LA after four and a half years of working. And on you were that, in New York, I guess, right? Yeah, we moved to Connecticut, to New York City, and then Connecticut. And um, you know, when when the bosses change um, and the vision that was bought off on four years ago is no longer. Uh, at, at the core of the film, it's uh, it's tough to have that continuing shifting vision to both be passionate about it and kind of take it in these new directions is is always tricky. And uh, and you know, at a certain point, um, the the director's the pretty uh, expendable person in the situation or the changeable thing after a long time. Uh, but it was, you know, it was supposed to come out three years ago now, and it. It's still not out. It still has a chance, I think, you know, you know, depending on what Disney wants to do with those projects at Blue Sky. There were some amazing projects in development and clearly Blue Sky is an incredible team of people that were doing really cool stuff. We made some awesome tests and and uh, there's some versions of the movie that were pretty great. And um, I have no idea if it'll look like our tests or have anything uh, that I, that I did in it when it's, when it's over, but 
if it ever even comes out. The like sad thing about all of that is that Noel Stevenson, who is the author of the original book and a wonderful showrunner and writer in her own right, um, you know, that that book was written when she was 19 uh, in college. It is incredibly personal to her. And um, to, to have that um, owned by Disney has to be tough, you know? Like they can, they can never make anything of their own work. They sold it. So I think that's the, that's the tricky thing about, you know, comic books and book rights and movie studios and stuff. Things can literally just be buried. So I hope for Noel's sake that there's a version that can be out there uh, in the end. I hope so. So we'll see. So after that was on, that happened on uh, my last day at blue sky was day. The last day the studio had any people in it weirdly. So, I uh, I went home and then the studio locked down and the country locked down and we flew back to LA uh, within like two weeks because we're like, I'm not here for work. I don't know why I'm in Stamford, Connecticut. And uh, <laughs> even though Stamford's a really nice place, uh, it's very pretty and foresty. And uh, yeah, we, we went back to LA and I uh, started working on reviving, you know, what other projects I had going on and... Um, in in working with Google Spotlight Stories, I did um, I did get to work next to uh, Chris O'Reilly and Felix Massey because uh, they were working on a different one. Chris runs Nexus along with Charlotte Papasso, and um, so Chris and Charlotte and I at Nexus started talking about things that we could possibly make uh, together. So and and that has been really uh, cool uh, along with the. The other thing that I kind of did when we moved back, we moved back into LA and we uh, moved in with my wife's parents for a couple months before we, like, while we were looking for a house here. And, uh, and I set up in his garage, in Bob, in Bob's garage next to his, uh, his, his home grow operation. And, uh, okay? and, uh, so I always had like behind me in, in video calls. For May and June, there was, you know, grow lights and some plants. And, um, which is always fun. And, but I, in, in that garage, I also kind of set up my, like, kind of my, my Vive, you know, VR stuff. Cause I've, I've been into that for a while. And, uh, and I decided to start to learn Blender cause all the kids were learning Blender and Maya's for old people now. Right. And, uh, yep. <laughs> and I really, I tried to learn Blender a couple times before. And but the ver the two point eight version the EV real time stuff um, the the grease pencil like storyboards and three D all those things kind of added up to like okay now it's like really it's really starting to be powerful and, and and useful and easier interface wise so I've completely fallen in love with doing everything that way as far as animation and story goes and modeling and all that and then. Um, and and then I also started thinking about, um, you know, working in or doing the AR kit, like puppeteering, if it would be, if I'd be able to like figure that stuff out. So I, in, in May, I kind of made a couple characters work with AR kit puppeteering, you know, using an iPad uh, to, to drive Blender characters and got really excited about how easy it was and how it's like such a neat start. For animation, it doesn't get you like it's not getting you Pixar quality facial animation 
by any means, but you get something kind of interesting and cool and timed right. And um, so I, I started playing around with that. And, uh, and, and Nexus is great as a company because they're in between, um, you know, they're, they're very creative artistic company and very uh, have a lot of integrity in the image, but they also are a technology company and, and mess around with that in a cool way. Um, so we ended up, you know, Nexus had been involved with Unreal Engine as are many, many companies uh, right now and trying to figure out how it might be interesting. And we, um, we kind of partnered with them to do, you know, what I've been playing with, uh, with Feast and with Paperman, these different looks, is that something that we could actually like engineer into a real time system? Cause there's no reason to spend your, you know, so much render time on, on things that don't need all that fancy bounce light, you know? Um, and, and, it's definitely been like challenging because Unreal has so many, uh, all these real-time engines have so many efficiencies built into them to that are based on realism. So if you're wanting to break things away from realism, it, you, you tend to be kind of breaking down the efficiencies that the engine has in the first place, which makes non-photo real a little harder than you think it should be uh, in real-time engines. But uh, we've been playing around with that and, and come up with some cool... Uh, you know, I've made like a three minute like teaser film for, for a story idea called this tape deck is a time machine that we are, um, you know, currently working out how to make. And I think it's going to be really, really awesome to actually get things out there and, and working that way. And, um, in my little keynote next week, I'll have some stuff to show from that. Um, awesome. be cool. So, and that's just, and there's that. I also, you know, I have a, I have a mega grant myself uh, uh, yeah. from Unreal to that I'm working on a virtual improv stage, improv theater where many people can perform in their own houses together in a remote session uh, on a on the cloud, and it takes suggestions live from the audience and like drop in props and sets and stuff and actually do like a a theater show uh, live on the internet, like streamed. So that's. And when I'm in the middle of making that with uh, my partners at, at the studio, uh, I did the Google project with called Evil Eye Studios in San Francisco too. So um, I've been I've been uh, dabbling in various versions of real time, uh, along with trying to pitch, um, you know, pitch and make TV shows and movies on my own, like doing normal development stuff. And uh, in that regard, you know, there's um, doing something with uh with real effects there uh, in development that i think is really amazing and uh, they do and they're actually doing a lot of cool real-time stuff too so like i feel like it's in the zeitgeist to be doing this stuff in real time and um uh, and i like it because i i bring it back to like my i love figure painting i love ala prima style portrait painting and and uh landscape art which is you sit down with nothing you sketch it you paint wet on wet and you interact with the finished image as you work. And animation has this, like, it traditionally has a very throw it over the wall to the next apartment kind of workflow that doesn't have a lot of flow in it. It doesn't have a lot of moments where you, like, disappear into the work and see the work as finished as it can possibly be, where you're actually making creative choices that make that bounce off the finished idea. And um, I think real time brings that back into the process in a cool way. So I'm always looking for ways to kind of 
be able to lose yourself in the performance a little bit or in the craft. And I think that like, it's really cool to be able to start to do that uh, with these tools. And I'm, I'm really tool agnostic. I don't really care. I just want the flow to be there and, uh, and the interactivity. Like I was the animator who like really hated a slow rig. Like I would just stop. I would just like, guys, the rig's too slow. I quit. I'm done. Not working on this. And, uh, cause it, you just like, it's not fun to like wait to like not to like have an idea. Then you have the concentration required there is not for me. I got so many things going through my head that I, I need to be like held in the moment. Any, if anything like interrupts, like having the play blast, it's like lost time, you know? So, and I was a decently fast animator, but like, I think people could be way faster if all the real time stuff is, is working. Um, so most rigs now, you know, people have, studios have figured out how to multi-thread and kind of geocache things that aren't changing and all of that. So you know, Disney and Pixar rigs are pretty fast and almost real time for the most part. But, um, you know, I think like, getting lighting in there too and all of that will be pretty exciting. So, um, We'll see how that all goes for the feature side. Well, listen, because there's a chance this could crash again, and mm -hmm. I don't want that to happen, I'd like to find out, like, tell us a little bit about that that story that you were about to tell me about what you're doing with uh, the Love, Duff, and Robots stuff. You're kind of involved in that right now a little bit, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, in, in May, I talked to Tim Miller, just a general, and um, he asked if I would be willing to do it an episode of love death robots. And I was, I, the, the show was incredible. It, I'm super excited to be making one of those. Um, you know, I am, uh, the, it's, it's so hard to get all like adult animation, like animation that's not aimed at families or kids made. I was incredibly impressed that Tim was able to make that happen and push it through. And, they're a really great team to work with and very efficient and to the point in a great way. And, um, you know, it's different than other stuff I've done where the, the script was done. This is, you know, it was, it was already written. It was a, an idea that, um, you know, it's the, it's the second version of an idea essentially. And, uh, and, uh, and the, that doesn't happen for an animation director very long for a project to come along that is, uh, really good scripts blessed all the way to the top as being a good script, something they want to make and it just needs to be made. So there was no way I was not going to jump on something like that um, out of the respect for the series in general, wanting to be a part. And the fact that like that normal director writer work of like just wrestling over the concept for years and years was not going to happen. Um, so that's, you know, but, but that's, you know, it's a short, so it's not a, it's not a full-time thing. We're making that with Blow in Spain, awesome company. Uh, so those are my mornings. My mornings are talking to Alejandro at, at Blow, uh, who is, is running the show there for, you know, half hour, an hour. And, um, and then I'm also, I'm, I'm writing a show, uh, or writing a special for Apple that, um, uh, that is going to be cool and non-photoreal and, um, and you know, like a half hour and a 40 minute thing that I'm very excited about. And, um, so, but those things like, 
I've, I've kind of learned to believe that, like, I don't make a lot of announcements on Twitter and stuff only because, like, when things are, like, on the screen in the movie theater or on TV, then, then you're, you finished them. You got there. There are so many things that could go wrong <laughs> in between that for me, it's just, like, it's very important to try to, like, just enjoy the work every day, what you're doing. I think the reward for, like, doing a good job is if you love your job is doing more. I do believe that's true. So, um, you know, I, I, I do like that I'm able to do that and, and keep, you know, writing or drawing or whatever, pitching ideas, you know, um, I, I'm excited about, I think we're going to hit a new television style of animation kind of soon. That's going to be like a weird hybrid of puppetry and CG, you know, like there's enough things happening like this where like, I've seen a few tests of CG and puppetry kind of mixed. And I think there's, um, in, in, in the fact that like a lot of 2d animation looks very similar, it's all kind of a descendant of the Simpsons in some way it's on TV. I think the audiences will like gravitate towards some cool looking new stuff and, um, you know, robot chickens, those guys are out there, you know, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but there's room, I think there's room for like shows that feel different there. So I'm excited if, whether or not I get to make one or someone else does, um, I think we're heading towards a, a cool way of mixing some of these real time tools and like, like miniature sets and puppets and stuff in a cool way. Uh, we'll see. I don't know. I've seen a few like really exciting companies out there doing stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, it's, it's, uh, it's tough to get stuff greenlit and, and finally made. There's a lot of development time and a lot of uh, just figuring it out and making, making pitch decks. And that's kind of what my days are right now is, mm -hmm. uh, is writing ideas, uh, working on the unreal engine stuff, having fun with that tinkering, uh, yeah. you know, filling the gear guy sort of, uh, you know, drive, but also trying to like, land those those bigger things that um that will really make an impact so for sure yeah. for sure well that's that's really awesome uh i, I really appreciate uh th those stories i mean animators to me like have always been like the part of the cg world that i'm just out of touch from because it is very different you know <laughs> my yeah, my wife says the animators if, if if the cg studio if the animation studio is a high school the animators are the football team in the good and bad ways yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I, but I also noticed, and, I'm also and sometimes, yeah. and sometimes animators, I mean, animators are not necessarily very technical. You know, I've known animators mm -hmm. and barely used their email, but they're excellent animators. And that's because yeah. it's got a special part of their brain that works that way. So it's always been a kind of a nice thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, story artists are the extreme version of that too. They're like the least technical people, but, um, right. Super creative. And, uh, yeah, it's a tricky I don't know. It's a, it's a animation like is insanely hard for so long. And then one day it clicks and everything just becomes like a real clear amount of time to finish, but you know, you can get there, but it's like, like you don't finish school feeling that way. You don't, you work for like five or six, seven years professionally. You still feel like it's hard. 
And then there's one day where it just becomes like, oh, that's, it's still hard to come up with original ideas and to do something special, but like the actual technical side of it disappears a lot. And um, it just takes, you know, I think it takes that 10,000 hours of doing it. But, um, and and so I, I still love animating. It's not like, um, like I, I fear writing. It's hard, like writing, like the blank page, coming up with something good that comes from you internally is is like you don't really know you're gonna get there uh with animating i'm at a spot where i like i know if i sit down and spend the time i can make it look great so uh, i just think it just takes like the the years and years of of work doing it getting past the technical spot uh of of, of doing it but i don't know if writing ever gets that way or coming up with great stories uh you know it's it's the constant like chase of something completely original is very hard and um, sure. and very satisfying in the same way. And I think that's why people, people like, like take the torture because the few, the small wins are, <laughs> are pretty nice. Uh, and uh, I didn't mention it during the, the feast side of things, but the, I, if the, the, for me, the real joy of like, the only moment in directing and writing and making stuff that you really, that I feel is like really, really joyful is when you're recording the score because it's the first mm-hmm. moment where you have like, you bring, there's so much incredible talent that's brought to this one room at one time and you see what's pretty much your finished film on the wall behind them. And you see people working at the top of their game and you're kind of, it's like outside of your skill set in a great way where you can actually enjoy it for an afternoon. And like, it's the most amazing part. It's like you sit down there and I, for feast, Alex Ebert did the music. He's the singer of Edward Sharp and the magnetic zeros. And it's a wonderful composer. Right. And to, to, just to see that guy, like write that music, you know, on a, in a weekend and then, and then put it up with an orchestra, the, or the, the horn player played, the solo in Jurassic park theme, like the same person. Like, it's really wow. cool to like sit in the room and get to see that. Uh, and uh, so there are these little moments that make it, make it all of the, the, the difficulty worth, worth that. Um, but it's rare to get to even go even have those moments. So, uh, but I still love doing it. So I guess there's some bit of torture that everyone kind of likes, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's creative. It's creative. Yeah. yeah. It's always, sure. you're, it's, it's never boring. It's fascinating. Yep. And, um, you know, that's just the creative side. All of the studio stuff and the politics is, is like equally weird and fascinating. And, um, you, the, it's only talked about in memoirs because, you know, everybody's still working and you have to, <laughs> you have to make sure you don't say anything bad, but, um, that's all interesting too. So, yeah. um, but yeah, that's, that's, you know, why I, I think the real time stuff is so exciting that for the future of making work, um, you know, I love the, yeah, I love, sure. I love what all these high power renders do. Uh, they make things look beautiful, <laughs> but the faster, the better for sure. Just because it gets you back into that artistic state. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's feedback too. You get a feedback mm-hmm. loop. That's much more enjoyable than waiting. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I sure. hats off to the, some of the blue sky lighters who, who worked like CG studio was an incredible system. 
But man, it was not, it did not have an interface for a long, long time. <laughs> it was uh-huh. it's pretty amazing to see people who can like work in their heads so well with text. Um, you know, yep. uh, that, that, I couldn't the, do it. The procedural <laughs> side of Blue Sky was uh, unbelievable uh, for some of the people there, what they could do with that, with this, you know, coded tools. Uh, it, was, it was super cool and impressive. Uh, yeah, for but, sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Patrick. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I look forward to, to you know, this will come out absolutely after the real-time conference. But sure. I look forward to hanging out with you next week online, virtually, you know. Yeah. And we can, <laughs> we can see what's going on in the, uh, during the real-time conference. But it's been awesome hanging out with you, hearing your story, seeing the work you've done. Uh, it's very inspiring. A Kenner Toys is is a great place to start your, your, your inspiration. Uh, we always talk about how important yeah. that that company was creatively for, for our generation, for sure. <laughs> I think, yeah, the Kenner like is a, is a spot of like the change of intellectual property from like, uh, like no value to a ton of value. But at the same time, it's also the, the, the unification of all of our childhoods in the world into something that everyone kind of has together which right. I think that that's kind of a neat thing that's happened. So it took my dad a while to like come around to that idea. He used to say he makes landfill, um, <laughs> but he's, uh, he's kind of come around, I think to, um, to appreciating the cultural impact. Also, he's gone to a few conventions and then worship there. And that, that did it, I think uh, okay. <laughs> in a cute way. So yeah, thanks for, thanks for uh, talking and, uh, and I'll, uh, See you around virtually, even though you only live like ten minutes away. I guess <laughs> I know, but I'm—I'll be—I'm not really visiting anyone at all. Mm-hmm. I pay, I pay, I'm, and I, which is fine. Yeah, uh, the only place I go there. to is the beach to go fishing, yeah. uh, and uh, but I will, uh, yeah. But some at some point, you know, maybe we can we can meet up. Sure. We're, we're ten minutes away. <laughs> <laughs> all right, nice talk. Have a good one, Patrick. See Thank you. Later. you. Bye.